0: The first day was 5,000 actually played. The second day was like 18,000. The third day was like 300,000 or something. And then the fourth day was a million players. I would love nothing more than for someone else to use the things that we've built to hit much higher heights and much bigger successes than anything we would have created. To me, that's like a form of success. If you're trying to build truly permanent, composable applications, you have to be on an Ethereum compatible system.
1: Welcome to Beneath the Layers by off Labs. I'm your host, Hunter, and today we're speaking with Amit Mahajan, co-founder and CEO at Proof of Play. We'll be talking about his time at Zynga as the co-creator of FarmVille, a game that had tens of millions of monthly active users at its peak. Uh, we'll run through different gaming-based companies that he founded, such as RareBits and Toro, and pick his brain, of course, about entrepreneurship, gaming, blockchain, and all the intersections between those. That being said, let's get into it. All right, we're going to talk about a lot of topics today. Uh, some surrounding entrepreneurship, gaming, crypto. But I think the best way to start, very basic question, are you a gamer? Do you play games?
0: Yeah, uh, pretty much my entire life. Uh, I, had, I had the NES robot when I was like three years old. Uh, and... Basically, have been playing some form of game ever since. So, like, I think as soon as I was able to comprehend, like, a game, what a game was, I was playing it.
1: That's great, by the way. NES robot. Wow. I, I think, um, I think the first console that I had was a Sega Genesis, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sonic. So, Sonic was like my favorite, probably my favorite game growing up. Like uh, the original Sonic the Hedgehog was like a mind blowing experience when I first saw it. I mean. You know, going from, like, NES to, like, you know, 8-bit to the 16-bit and then seeing, like, what they were doing with, like, curves and physics and, and like, the, the, the graphics were, like, more vibrant. Like, the sound, like, the sound chip in the Genesis had this, like, really crunchy, like, sound. Yeah, it's, it's like, an iconic piece of hardware, for sure.
1: All right, there's no way as a kid, when you were playing games, you were thinking about the crunches of the sound.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, well, no, I... Well, well, we, we were we were thinking, I mean, like, you know, it was, like, at the time, like, there was such massive leaps in graphical fidelity that, like, you know, it was, like, noticeably a better looking game than anything ever came before it, right? Or at least that I saw.
1: Oh, totally. 100%. Now, I, I think for me, I want to say I remember playing the GameCube as, like, my favorite by far.
0: I I mean that was that was college for me and just like playing just endless amounts of yeah. melee. <laughs> yes. Right. And and the, the sound the sound those those sticks make when you click, like that that noise is like etched into my brain. The you know, it's just like it's such an iconic like era of gaming, that specific game cube clicking noise because people are like smat doing the smash tacks and, and all of that good stuff. Yeah. And,
1: okay. So You clearly played games a bunch as a kid. Uh, So at what point would you say you decided to take the next step? Like, at what point did you say, I want to turn this into, like, you know, my job?
0: Mm. So I started programming when I was nine. Um, My mom was taking computer programming classes at a local college um, and having me, like, type up her homework. Okay. uh, Just because I was a faster typer than her at the time. And I just, like, realized that, like, I was, like, learning how to, like, program by just, like, replicating this, like, the stuff she was having me type up. And so I started to build, like, really simple. At the time, it was just, like, Basic, like, very simple, like, logic games. Um, things like, you know, like, answer this math question kind of thing. Um, and that soon evolved uh, to, um, you know, trying to do, like, do, like, maps for like doom um nice i I spent some time on aol back then building like more like hack programs it's funny because there's actually like i I think zuck was in that scene at one point too um there's like there's like this like weird thing where like a bunch of people like learned how to like program by building like visual basic applications that were like let you just like go and like cause mayhem on aol (laughs) um And then uh and then yeah, then I started to like basically do more work modding like Doom and Quake and those engines and um eventually got to a point where um I was hitting a wall with what I was able to do in Quake. And so I started to build my own 3D engines um and start to learn like how to build like OpenGL and so on. Um so I kinda like knew I was gonna be in games. It was like kind of like a thing I I knew from like a young age. Um and then uh in college I uh, I interned at Electronic Arts. I worked on Sims 2 uh, on the console. And after graduating, um, I had, like, a choice between, like, Blizzard and Epic and uh, Raven. Uh, those guys were working on uh, – it was with Quake 4, yet, but it was, like, a first-person shooter. Um, oh, or the Spore team with, like, Will Wright at EA. And that would have been interesting, too. Um, I ended up going to Epic, though, because, like, I've always been, like – I. Well, walking in, I was like, oh, this place is different. You know, like, every single person I talked to was, like, insanely smart. The stuff they were doing with 3D graphics and technology. And this, at this time, it was, this was Unreal Engine 3. And, like, the stuff they were doing, they were, they were working on Gears of War. And, like, I oh saw Gears, and I was like, whoa, this is way better than anything that's ever come before it. Um, it was, It was, like, 60 people. Everyone was, like, a genius. I was like, I have to work here. And so, uh, you know, they they made me an offer. I moved to North Carolina, and I I was an engine developer, tools developer, and like a small like gameplay programmer on Gears of War. And um, I worked on like the UI and stuff there. But like the you know, I got a chance to work with like Cliff Blazinski and Tim Sweeney, and and there's like these really just legends of industry on like a super iconic product, and. It was amazing. Like just the density of talent at Epic was just like, you know, it was, it's, 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 it's Epic is like the inspiration for a lot of what we're doing now at Proof of Play. It's just like, I'm like, how do I build a team that's like that strong where like every single person's a hitter, you know, like we're working on products that are pushing the bar and like in, in our case in the blockchain, but in their case it was graphics.
1: 100%. And just
0: like constantly pushing the bar forward. And, um, it was really, really, really cool. Uh, really amazing opportunity to work there.
1: That's literally insane. Like, it's, it's so funny that you say that, because, like, whenever I think back to, like, a game that, you know, I enjoyed, like, quite a bit, and, like, even, like, visually, like, the game that strikes me the most, it's Gears of War, like, by far. I mean, you know, I played it on the Xbox, too, and Lord knows that graphics back in the day were not the same as graphics today, but even just, you know, I played so many games today, and, like, nothing for some reason compares to, like, the visual like intensity that Gears of War had. Um, it it kind of reminds me of, you know, kind of like when, when Avatar first came out, right? People were just amazed by like how that looked. Um, that's insane.
0: Yeah, and Epic was interesting too, cause like, it, it was like people you wouldn't expect, right? Like their lead renderer is this guy, Andrew Scheidecker, the re, kind of lead, lead like, rend- rendering engine guy. And um, he was young. He was hired when he was, like, 18 or something. He was, like, pretty young um, and um, was, like, literally writing, like, the most dope shit. No, go for it. Like, the most, like, the dopest stuff. He was creating, like, the dopest stuff. And, like, you know, it just goes to show you that, like, talent just comes in any form. And kudos to to my caps who was running the studio at the time, and Tim Sweeney for, like, like finding these, like, You know, I was young. I had like no experience, really. I was right out of college, and you know, giving people a shot um, was uh, really—it was was really a special place. And um, and so, like, it was—it was was cool because, like, at the time, too, I didn't realize it. So, like, one of the things is like my early career was a lot of just like stumbling into success, right? Like, I was happened to be at Epic during Gears of War. I went to E3. It was Game of the Year. I'm like, I guess this is how it is.
1: Spoils. (laughs) Oh, you just
0: like you just work on something. Yeah, you just work on something and then like even with farmville when we launched it, it just ended up this massive huge success and you know like at the time i was like oh it's easy without seeing all of the work that these guys like you know that pink mark pinkus did at, at zynga um that you know tim sweeney did to like get the companies to the point to prepare them for that moment when all the factors of success kind of could happen that they like, you know, the stew was ready, you know, it was like, ready to go. Um, and it took, you know, epic, was at that point was a 20 year old company, like they you started, he started in the 80s oh, wow. or something. It was like, it was around then. Um, and so, so it's really crazy. It's like, people are like, oh, epic some, you know, Fortnite right, overnight right. success. No, like, Tim's been grinding for forever. And it's just he's such an inspirational entrepreneur, and just the ways reinvented the company and so on. So it's really, really cool to be there. Um, but then, like after two years there, I ended up. Um, I came to a realization that, like, hey, like these guys, Triple A games is uh, a, it's a big thing. Like, I'm gonna have to. It's like a director waiting for his chance to, you know, be able to create a movie at Pixar. You gotta put twenty years in, and then maybe you'll be able to 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 ha- to, to to lead up something. Um, so I was like, well, you know, like I pro- I wanna I don't want to just like just you know kind of put the time in and have someone else give me the opportunity i'd rather see something on my own so i left and i started a company with some friends from college and we we built a um a social a social um it wasn't social gaming at the time but it was like a social application company and we started off by building something like uh, like a Haba hotel for like myspace
1: nice you okay. know,
0: like, you know hobo yeah. hotels like oh yeah like it's funny because like the metaverse is like this thing but i've seen like you know, multiple generations of metaverse products. Dude, one hundred percent. And yeah, and and, and and spoiler, they they all tend to not work. Um, and like the reason why is like so you basically people have a, a room they go in they have their avatars they chat they like build their little virtual room, um, but then like then what? You know, like, what's, like, why don't I just text people? Like, why am I showing up in this world and going through all the extra song and dance just to walk over to you and then talk to you and text anyways? So it turns out that you're adding all this friction to, like, the social experience, and no one wants that. And so um, so um it didn't really work. In fact, like, we looked at our retention, and it was, like, just, like, the worst retention. Like, uh, we had this advisor from Facebook. He came in, and he's like, this is, like, the worst retention I've ever seen. You guys should just, like, shut your company down. Oh, my God. And so we, like... <laughs> Yeah, it was bad. It was like it was like real talk, but it was like also just like all right, right. like um. So um, we ended up looking around, and you know, Zingo was doing pretty well in social games. There were some other companies that, that were kind of making social games work. We're like, well, we have this like we had this like flash based game engine that I had built that was like kind of like you know it was structured to be like Unreal, which like easy to build games on top of. It was kind of like you know portable. Like, what if we took this thing and we just like build a social game on top of it, right? So like let's go look at the top five games that are out there. There was like a farm game. There was mafia wars. There was um, a cafe game. And we're like, okay, like let's, let's do the farm game. And so we came up with this like four week plan of building a farm game using our existing technology. And at the same time, we were like running out of money. We'd raised a little bit of money. we like went and talked to a bunch of, we talked to like a bunch of social gaming companies. We're, like, do you want to, you know, license our engine? And some, most of them were like, we just want to buy the team. Um, and so so Zynga made a really compelling offer they like you know come build the game with us like you know uh, we have like all the structure like we can like basically like take the idea and like supercharge it um, and so we ended up joining Zynga um, and then five weeks later we had, we launched farmville oh. with you know a combination of our technology some of Zinga's technology the people at Zynga, like it ended up being a really um, really cool thing and then you know we had a bet we're like well how many people are going to play this thing? And I remember my bet was like, I think 5,000 people will play this game <laughs> in the next week. Right. And, um, you know, the first day it was, actually, no, it was 2,000. The first day was 5,000 actually played. The second day was like 18,000. The third day was like 300,000 or something. And then the fourth day was a million players. Um. So the game. Yeah.
1: Wait, what? Okay. Hold on. I'm sorry. I just have to know, like, what was the exposure tactic then? Like, like what you know got all those people to play the game all at once like was Zuck pumping it on on his
0: no on his
1: uh on his Facebook timeline or something or
0: yeah, no, so the way the way it worked um and this is i mean again, we can look back and 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 like you know i I think one thing you'll see is I'm not gonna bullshit all this podcast. I'll tell you exactly how it was i, I think there's a couple I think there was a couple things that were really interesting about that period of time one so we 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 set the game up to friends and family. That's how we see it. There's literally just friends and family and it spread from there. But there's a couple things that really worked. Um, one was that Facebook at the time was like very, they needed growth. So they had this like all these social channels and they didn't properly value their distribution. So we were able to get billions of free impressions wow. by just like using the platform features that were there. Like what would cost you? billions of dollars today in ad spend on facebook we essentially got for free oh wow, wow. that was one two is that zynga already had a couple of games that were decently big and what they were doing is they had this thing called the cross promotion bar which is at the top of it and they would basically send players from one game to another and so farmville became the main cross promotion bar on top of every other zynga game as soon as they saw how well it was growing right the third thing is that you know it was a bit of a lightning the ball moment like people were looking for something to do the graphics were like kind of like scratching this like pixar dreamworks style itch right and um the theme of farming is very universal like everyone knows how to how food grows it's not like it's it's it crosses genders it crosses age boundaries it crosses ethnicities it's like it's just like you know it's universal And so your addressable market is just super, super huge. And so like you take all those things together and you end up getting something that happened to be a lightning in the ball at the right moment. Um, and obviously there are other games that came, the game is also really well made. I think the, um, so the art director of Farmville is, uh, you know, the art director of proof of play. Um, and he created some really iconic approachable art that people seem to like engage with. Um, and, uh, and like, you know, the game was like fast, it worked, like we were, oh, the other thing is that we happened to be using, uh, and this is kind of interesting, because it's like a, it's a technology choice, right? Like, um, we, we, Zynga's data centers, this is a really cool story, Zynga's data centers at the time could not hold another game. Like, they were already at their, like, limit in terms of servicing the other games. And so it would have been like a few month wait for us to be able to, for to provision servers to allow FarmBuild to then become part of the Zynga data center system. So they're like, well, you can take a risk. You can go use AWS, but no one uses mm-hmm. AWS because it's like a new thing. So we're like, well, okay, look, let's try using this like cloud scaling thing. And there's like some auto scaling stuff and so on. And that allows to launch the game immediately. It also allows to scale the game because the game would not have scaled if it wasn't for the fact that we were on AWS. And there was a point where. We were like, maybe, it was like us and Netflix were like the top two applications wow. on, on AWS. <laughs> um, it was like something of that like that nature. Um, like, so to give you context, like at the, you know, all numbers, all in, like 300 million people played Farmville. I did over a billion dollars in revenue. Um, and it was just like, it's huge success. Um, and then what I did with Zingo was I kind of took the Farmville engine. I created something called Exampleville, which then became the basis of, Cityville, Frontierville, Fishville. Like, it, became, it basically became base for all of games on Facebook at the time. Right. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. And I was there, like, two and a half years, and, uh, you know, I was Zynga. I, was um, I learned a lot, too. I mean, incredible, you know, Mark Pincus, just incredible, uh, you know, business mind that taught me how to... I basically got my MBA like, at yeah. Zynga.
1: Oh, wow. You know. So, yeah. okay. It sounds like, from the jump... You know the popularity of the game was through the roof anyways, right um, and it sounds like you mentioned that you'd kind of worked in the game for what roughly two and a half years, yeah, like at what point you know on your time working in the game, like at what point did you step back and say like, "Oh my God, this is insane, you know
0: um I you know, I just like uh. You don't know. It's it's weird. It wasn't until my second, third, and fourth company where I'm like, okay, like, you know, this is a slog, <laughs> right? To, to, before you end up realizing like, oh my, okay, so that was so, that was really unique. Again, if like all you know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, um, you know, if someone's like a trust fund yeah. kid, right? Or something like you just like, you have no concept of what it's like to grind, totally. you know, right? Like, you've just always been given, like, so like, there was a bit of that between Epic and Zynga, just being like, oh, like, I just... Put in the effort and just things just turn out but it's not always true okay no
1: no that's fine that's, that's actually a pretty good take <laughs> okay so then in that case uh at what point did you you know hit the point where you said oh wow this you know whatever i'm working on now is actually going to take work
0: yeah so my so um you know zynga like i i went and helped start the japan office i lived in tokyo for like almost a year uh the cto of that entire thing which was fun i really learned a lot in japan in terms of like culture and product and kaizen and like all of these things that kind of like drive my my kind of personal like life philosophy today but like um uh you know it wasn't my second company was like a growth company it was a mobile um and it ended up being this like really um i tried to take what we were doing at zynga with like analytics and i was like let me see if i can build tools for like every other company to do this um didn't really work it was like just kind of and it really 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 where we ended up was just like everyone just wanted to figure out how to like optimize their ad spend mm-hmm. like that's where all the right. money was and so we built this product and and it was like kind of working and at some point i was like what am i doing in my life i don't care about i don't like like optimize ad spend like my my time is too valuable i think there's better uses of my skills um and so I ended up um, Google like made us an offer for, for the company. We ended up getting bought by them. Um, I was at Google for like five or six weeks. Oh, wow. um, that was
1: Toro, right? I, the company.
0: Yeah, yeah. And basically, what we were was you would basically connect your all of your like your like ad spend accounts, and we would use like machine learning to like automatically figure out like how to optimize your spend to basically bring down the cost of user acquisition. So the way you think about games today. No, yeah, I mean that's really important. That's why, it's why
1: Google acquired you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's 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 like a it's it's like core, it's a core technology. But because essentially, like games today, what they do is they calculate like how much money are you making from someone over the lifetime of the game, and then how much are you how much is this, how much do you have to pay for to bring a new player into the game. And if this is bigger than this, you know, if the LTV is bigger than your cost of user acquisition, then you have a profitable gain and you put unlimited dollars into user acquisition. Cause it's just the engine, every dollar you put in, you get a dollar 10 or whatever. Right. And so that's all game companies are playing that today. And um, you know, one of the things that's interesting with blockchain is the fact that like, it potentially breaks that, that model, right? Like it, it like, it breaks physics. It's like the, you know, uh, room temperature superconductor. Like, we've never seen this <laughs> right, before, right. right? And so, and and so like, um, uh, you know, I was like, in that world for a bit, but ultimately, I just decided I didn't care. Right. Like, uh, VR was starting to take off, crypto was starting to take off. I'm like, there's more, I feels like there's just deeper technology right. to work on. Um, and so I saw that company. I was at Google for a little bit. I bounced. Um, I started, uh, okay,
1: I, I you know, have to ask uh, before we get any further, like, what was that process like, like, you know, did, did Google find you? Did you reach out to them? Like, how does one get acquired by Google?
0: No. So actually at the time, uh, you know, Chris, uh, Chris Dixon, um, who was, uh, I think people know in, in, in the space of, uh, you know, in, um, in, in blockchain land, um, he was like a small investor in us before, you uh, before as, as an angel investor, and he was he was really good. I Chris Chris's like superpowers, like you know, like at the time at least was um, you know investing in or, or like helping companies figure out like how to like parlay themselves. And so he introduced me to a bunch of corpdev dev teams, and like we basically like kind of like figured it out from there. And we had a few different offers, and Google ended up being the one that that made the most sense. Um, yeah, no, it was a huge a really huge value add from like an angel investor wow. at the time. You know, Chris has been like a, a really uh, great advisor and like he's been uh, uh, really helpful over the years. Um, but um, but basically, uh, you know, we uh, I, I sold the company to Google and then left and then started this thing called Fig, which was like a crowdfunding platform for games. So as I was figuring out what to do, I met you know one of the guys from Double Fine. Um, Double Fine is... Uh, you know Tim Schafer, like uh, oh yeah, Double Fine, uh, Brutal Legend, bro- yep, yep, yeah, Brutal Legend, <laughs> Broken Age, Psychonauts. His COO was starting this thing called Fig, and what he wanted to do was basically do like at the time there were some rules that changed around how to you could raise money, um, and he's like, we should do like crowd financing for for games, and people get like a cut of the game's future revenue, um, and so um. So yeah, so we started this thing. It looked like kind of like Kickstarter, but actually you were like getting investment shares in the game's profits, margins. And like, we, we did a bunch of stuff there. Um, I was there, with there for a bit. Um, that company eventually got acquired by Republic. But like, I think it raised, I don't numbers, but it was like tens of millions of dollars for like raising the platform. So I ended up being like pretty decently successful from like a pure just like dollars raised perspective. Psychonauts 2 was funded on there, a few other games. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, and then, then like I was really getting into VR, so I started this uh, this venture fund, uh a C stage venture fund focusing on VR and AR, and I invested about fifty companies out of that. So I was doing metaverse stuff. I've looked at like tons of metaverse companies, simulation companies, training, computer vision, um, you know, just all sorts of stuff in that space. Um, VR is a very hard market. Um, you know, the Apple headset was always six months away oh, yeah. and finally got announced this year um but like as i was like kind of going deeper and deeper into vr i started to kind of like understand crypto more i you know i got i was in bitcoin in 2013. i um didn't i missed the ethereum ico but i was like i was you know i had i was messing around with Ethereum shortly after um and just like the the idea of like decentralized programmable products was always super compelling um, and you start to realize that when you're in like a VR world and you're dealing with virtual items, it makes sense to have a, a, like some sort of like state transfer property transfer mechanism like this. Um, because the traditional things that we've been building have always been kind of like for physical property, not digital property. And, you know, I was playing World of Warcraft and I, and I saw what people were doing with their accounts, um, where, where people were buying and selling Warcraft gold. To me, it was always like, of course, this right. is going to happen. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I, I, ran the VR fund for a while. Um, still going, I mean, I'm still like having to maintain a bunch of it, but we're like mostly dormant now, um, waiting for like, brain for it to resolve. Um, and then, uh, start to mess around with crypto full time. Um, I started a company with a, a buddy of mine, um, it, uh, back in 2017, this is like right after the big ICO boom. And like the smart contract tools were starting to get good. And we're like, well, let's go build fancy sports on chain. So we started to build a fancy sports app. And like we actually had a full it's crazy, we had a full like the equivalent of FanDuel, like running on uh running on Ethereum. Like I built the smart contracts, like we had the Oracle, it was like pulling into the, the sports no data from the Oracle. It was a full thing. Well, at the time gas was cheap, right? It was Ethereum. Oh, you know, before right? Right, yeah, before CryptoKitties. Right, Well, so that's <laughs> what happened. So basically CryptoKitties launched. No, this is actually what happened. So CryptoKitties launched. And I was like, this is nuts. Like, we should just build Zynga on chain. Like, what are <laughs> we doing? You know, like, why are we messing with this stuff? when we, like, this is obviously working. So we, we saw CryptoKitties and I, I thought it was like a little bit more. And we, we started thinking about a game. I was like, okay, we could do like a, a robot fighting game or something like that. It'd be really cool. We could do like, you know, NFTs that change. But what if we decide to actually, well, this, okay, we can't be the only ones thinking this. And I don't particularly like building content. Like, I, I I, actually don't like, I mean, I'm running a game company now, but, like, I don't like building content because it's, like, so, like, hit or, hit or miss. So, like, how can I structure, how can I make this, like, structurally more sound? I was like, well, what if we just build just the marketplace tools for these games, right? Where people can buy and sell the game items. Okay, well, it doesn't have to be just games. We would use all NFTs. Okay, there's already exchanges. Why don't we do an NFT exchange? So, we ended up building this product in, like, a month. It was called Rarebits um and i i'm like i at some point i i, I see this in every in an interview at some point i need to go like look at it i need to, like go look and see when we deployed versus when openc deployed because they claim they're the first but I, they may not they claim that, that? really um, i'm surprised that they do uh, they claim they're they claim they the, they claim they're the first nft marketplace but i i think there's like i mean the chain will prove it but um if if not the first it's fine we were like in the same like week or two um but anyway so long story short we ended up building this thing and like then like the crypto market crashed like i am very 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 good at timing bear markets and crypto. <laughs> uh, so so basically like we launched rare bits and then like everyone's like icos are dead right the sec action china ban it's all gone right NFTs were going to be the thing but then like there was no usage it was like 400 active users across all dApps like it wasn't working and so we basically like we're building rare bits for almost like two years where we're trying to make anything work like we had a uh, we probably called Fanbits, where anyone could like upload their own art, effect X copy, like uploaded a bunch of art on Fanbits, but it was like backed by AWS, so like the metadata was like on AWS, so it's like centralized still, so like it was like so it's like lost time, and like so there's like all these things that we we were we were building, we're like okay, well let's try, should we try to do like tokenized wine, <laughs> like let's go to, like you know let's go to like the wine reserves and we'll tokenize all the wine, and, like we'll have an exchange, people we'll can exchange wine, they like, can redeem it, which by the way it's still. A good idea someone should go do it that's a great um, idea actually right like oh you know, yeah people are trading wine anyways right. like, why not i mean we did i mean we had like i like we exhausted most of the nft business models that exist today like let's go do it with trading cards let's do it with physical comics let's go to comic book grading agencies and like get them to like actually issue nfts in exchange with when they grade something and then they can custody comic book for you you don't have to even mail it back and then you can you as a collector can buy and sell these things digitally on their site they get a cut you get a cut everyone's happy right. right so we tried 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 nothing um and it wasn't you know in 2020 you know i was starting to get burned out at the start of 2020 i was like i need i need i need to do something else so i took some time off um and then six months later the entire thing blew up and so timing is everything you know and alex and devins have done an incredible job building Sea um and like really capturing that opportunity but a, there was a bunch of other companies then too like uh super rare was around back then Bitsky, um i think rareable uh rareable rareable kind of uh was a nifty gateway Nifty Gateway
1: by gemini I remember, when
0: nifty Ga- I remember when nifty gateway started it wasn't by gemini they got oh. acquired oh. um i remember when they started too they were doing credit card payments and there was a huge thing around them using like stripe for credit card payments. i'm like these guys are gonna shut down because. We also were doing credit card payments. Yeah, in the beginning, you could do that. Yeah. Often to try to. Yeah, but it was like so under the radar that it wasn't there. Um, but uh, but yeah, so like and then obviously, uh, you know, people like cracked the market and they and the, the secret that it turns out the magic formula was art plus physical, right? And that was the combination of things that got people to understand the point of an NFT. And it was it was dope. And so then. Um, so yeah, I took some time off and I traveled with my wife. We had like a long honeymoon. And then I got back um, to the US to start 2021, started this company.
1: Okay, so then this was essentially like your first foray that didn't necessarily end in like 100% complete success, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and, and truthfully, I mean, like, look, like I was keep it real here. Like I was burned out. I I was high anxiety. We were like fighting for scraps of market share with, you know, the other marketplace companies. I saw from early point, I was like, this is going to be a race to the bottom in terms of fees. Like that was pretty obvious that was going to happen. There's just, there's no moat, right? I mean, the moat the moat ends up being like if your order book is closed you can basically like you know you can basically have monopoly on on the closed order book and as soon as we went to start to off-chain order books which you kind of had to like the first versions of these marketplaces were all like on-chain bidding which is super expensive you're paying you're paying money to like place a bid cancel a bid all this stuff it's like nuts so then basically you're you know once we moved to off-chain order order books it kind of made sense because now like it's, it's basically gasless to, to create this thing, but that's like now proprietary metadata that's on top of the public blockchain metadata. Right. So, um, so as soon as one company had that, you effectively have a monopoly on the market because you have all the buyers and sellers and they're all going to go to the place that has the most liquidity, which is going to be the place with the deepest order book. Right. And so, um, so basically, uh, as, um, you know as i started playing out i was like okay we're like if we're not winning this market like we're losing this market so i was playing a very zero-sum game and like i start like, like to just truthfully like i started to like go to therapy uh start to meditate start to take my like my personal health and you have more to, seriously yeah. dabbled in other forms of uh of self-growth um and eventually just re- you can three between the lines Um, and then and then basically just decided that like you know what like I want to play bigger games and um, and so like one of the things so I took some time off and and, and then came back came back to this I mean we I have no doubt like if we kept wherever it's going like we had the money you know we raised like seven million dollars from spark um, and like a bunch of really incredible angels and and other founders and stuff like it was like we we had like years of runway we could have kept going. But ultimately, it was like our own ability and conviction and grit to to, to stay through that was like the problem. And um, so, I vowed to myself, like when I start something else, like I gotta focus on the inputs. Like, how do I create a company where I'm excited to show up every day? Where, if regardless of what happens totally. with the outcome, that like my identity is not tied to it. Like, I can show up. I can like leave it all in the field, putting great work, not pay attention to competition. Ideally, play play in a market that's not zero sum, that's positive sum right and so that was proof that's that's how i came up with proof of play is you know like games are you know we're collaborating together on building the ethereum ecosystem out right like we are like i so so here's um here's an interesting take um so like farmville 300 million players the the game was shut down in 2020 it's just gone right like why like what happened to that database and, and there was a billion plus hours put into the game it's just gone that player investment and creativity the stories people told the investments they you know the, the the creativity they displayed in their farms and their worlds like just it was just wiped off the face of the earth and there was no chance for it to ever exist um and so i started to think about like what's permanence um so when i was um you know on the honeymoon right. with my wife like she was taking videos for our kids that hadn't yet been born and she's like, oh, I'm going to like record this thing. It's going to be like a, like a time capsule for our family. I'm like, where are you putting this? She's like, oh, Dropbox. I'm like, you realize that like Dropbox is like, you know, it, I'm sure it's a great company, but uh, standing the set of 50 plus years from now, like, is it still going to exist? Right? Like, it's going to get bought by a PE firm someday. They're going to cut costs. If you haven't logged in in a while, we're going to delete all your data. Maybe someone forgets the password. Like, it's not truly permanent. And so I'm like, well, how would you actually create something that's truly permanent? And it's, well, okay, well, maybe you put it on a bunch of USB sticks and send it all over the world. Okay. Or you put it on chain, right? I put a piece of data on the Ethereum blockchain. It's replicated across 100,000 nodes. There's, and, there's long, and there's a financial incentive to keep those nodes going. So so when I when you start to think of it in that way, you're like, is there anything more permanent than the blockchain, right? Even something like titanium or whatever, like this, these things get lost. You know, there's an earthquake. gets buried. The vault gets buried. You can't get to the vault anymore. Like it's it's gone. So, so replication and digital replication is actually the most permanent form of data and information storage we have. So one way to think about the Ethereum blockchain is that it's actually a time capsule, right? It's a shared time capsule that all of us are contributing to. So we look at something like a CryptoPunk and you're like, why is this thing worth anything? Well, because it's the first form of digital, like, it's like caveman art, right? It's the digital caveman art. And like, it has the highest chance of surviving <laughs> versus any other form of art we've ever created. Totally. And so and so, so when you think about it from that perspective, you end up realizing that like, you know, when we put something on chain, we're actually truly leaving it for future generations. So with this company, you know, I didn't want to just build a mobile gaming company and replace credit cards with uh, you know, with like uh NFTs. It's just like payments with more steps. Like, what the hell's right. the point? Like it's just not that interesting to me. Um, and and so so the question is is like what can you actually build using the blockchain that's more interesting? Okay, well, permanence building things that truly last forever. So if I put a game on chain, it's a forever game, right? Like we can walk away. Like right now, Pirate Nation is is using no server resources, right? It's 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 running on-chain and anyone can interact with the contracts directly and keep playing the game. So the problem with most NFT games and there's there's like so little differentiation or nuance in these things, but like the problem with most games today is that like imagine I'm selling you a chess set, but all I'm doing is giving you the pieces, and I'm like you own oh you own the game, but all you really own is the pieces. If you want to actually like play the game, you have to come over to my house, use my rule book, and use my board, right? And so, and and I keep track of who wins or loses, right? Like, and so you end up realizing. That like you know, there's there's different forms of the stuff. So like one of the things that I want to do is I was like maybe we can actually build fully on chain games. We can get, put put games that that like will run forever. You can bring your own client. So if you know the Flash is deprecated again or whatever, like whatever technology Unity is no longer supported, you can bring your own. You can actually build a different client for the game because the game itself is not represented visually. It's represented by the state that's on the blockchain. Totally. So the actual the actual game is literally just the bytes and bits that are in each block transaction and then all you're doing as a player is interacting with a representation of that of that game state and and so you can start to see like you know when when our company's called proof of play really what we're doing is we're building these on-chain game mechanics so when you come and you play a game like i i this there's there's no way i think about this like you as a player like when you play zelda or you play gears of war you are writing the story of of Marcus Phoenix. You're writing the story of that character, right? And when you play the game, the history of that specific instance of that character is the history of your gameplay. Right? So one way to think about it is that every time you play a game, you're, you're you're like crafting this narrative. Now, if you're playing a game where every move is stored, where everything you do is 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 permanent and inscribed, now what you're doing is you're actually writing the character of that not just for yourself, but for everyone else too. So, like, when a player, for example, is playing a game, playing Pirate Nation, and they're doing stuff in it, what they're actually doing is creating the story of their pirate through their gameplay action. And a collective set of players doing that are actually writing the history of that universe just by playing the game. And so, you start to get these really cool things where you end up realizing that gameplay just plain... Every player is a creator, but not in the very literal sense of, like, you're actually creating the gameplay world, you know, the the items and things, but you are filling in the richness of the universe, right? If you look at EVE Online, EVE Online has been online for, like, 20 plus years now, like, there's an entire history of EVE Online, there's companies that have come and gone, these huge space battles, sabotage, assassins, and all these other things, and it's because they create this open-ended world in which players can actually take really unique actions. And so for us, you know, we, we were always going to build on chain games because to me, the, the, the whole point of this technology and the reason it's, you know, to like deal with this, not for the financialization of the NFTs is to create new types of gameplay experiences that couldn't exist before. And you enable a new type of game development that couldn't exist before. And so, you know, one of the most powerful things which hasn't played out yet again, I got my start modding, right? Like I was, creating maps for doom and quake. then I was like editing, you know, the code and creating new game modes and all this other stuff. Like someone can come in, they can literally fork fire pirate nation. You could do that today. Like you can go in, you could be like, I'm going to copy all the contracts over. I'm going to copy all the data over. And I literally have a copy of this game that's running and you could change whatever you want about it. Right. So you end up realizing now games are remixable the same way that music is remixable. And so you start to see that like, now we're starting to get into like the really nuanced, unique properties of building blockchain games. Um, And so that was the point of this company, right? Was to explore the scope of what we could do with that. And it's, it's also pretty dope because again, it's a positive something. If I create a game, that's now something that someone else can use to create a mod or a new game completely off of it. And the thing that they create presuming it's on chain, which it will be, if it's using the same technology that we're using is now something that we can use to build our future games. So now instead of building in silos alone, um, you know, we're building together and everything we put out there becomes, you know, kindling for someone else's fire.
1: Oh no, hundred percent. You know, it's so funny because I feel like that brings me back to like uh, a couple of years ago, um, you know, when I first actually yeah. kind of got into crypto, you know, I went to school for mechanical engineering. So like, you know, uh, I, did, I just like learning things, not necessarily engineering, just like learning. And one of the things I did was I tried the Loom course, like the Crypto Zombies course that they offer. And quickly, you know, from learning about Solidity through that course, I, I figured out that you can plug, you know, you can like essentially take different attributes from different smart contracts that have nothing to do with with what you're doing and pretty Much base whatever you're creating off of pre existing things that are already out there in the blockchain. Um, like that's what I think is so cool about all this, right? So, this permissionless nature that allows anyone to build on top of something else or like connect with something else, and I, I just love it. Uh, interoperability has got to be the coolest thing about a uh, blockchain.
0: It, I mean, it's uh, interoperability and the word composability, right? So, you can take uniswap and put it on top of ave and put it on top of whatever and so we call it, they call it defi building blocks for a reason um, but games are the same way right i can take a crafting system i can take a loot, loot loot drop system i can take a quest system the quest system calls the loot system which then gives me items that i can then plug into the crafting system to so then go build the thing right and so you but if you and if you look at games now most of them are just composition I'm gonna take the combat system from this game, the leveling system from this game, the yeah. And so you you start to see kind of how how um you know we start to create gaming building blocks that people can then plug and play and create things faster. So what I'm really hoping is that as a result of all of this, we end up getting um, you know, like an explosion of creativity. Like I would love nothing more than for someone else to use the things that we've built to hit much higher heights and much bigger successes than anything we would have created. To me, that's like a form of success, right? And so, yeah, uh, it's just, I mean, it, ultimately, like, like, you know, we got to do things for a bigger reason, right? It can't just be like, just, and, and, and like, look, obviously, like, I believe in capitalism and like building ongoing profit, you know, like, I believe that like the capitalist model is like the way to like, you know, really kind of like breed innovation. Um, but that's not enough. There's gotta be like more purpose behind it. Um,
1: okay. So when you, when you started proof of play, uh, you know, it sounded like you guys, the team already had the, the vision of making everything on chain, like already a thing, like that was already ingrained in kind of your philosophy. Uh, in that case, you must've known that Ethereum was not an option
0: in that, that case, to, to work.
1: you know, knowing Ethereum wasn't an option. Uh, how did you guys go about, you know, making you know a choice for which chain you were going to launch on
0: yeah i mean so a couple things one is we knew ethereum was never going to work it was obviously too expensive um polygon was super interesting um at the time and you guys were too early i think uh you guys and optimism were both just like too i mean the roll-up was super the idea of roll-ups was really interesting but it was just like too early um and um we i mean polygon there's like other games on it like we like i I don't like want to be like the first one to take a risk no one knows technology like like we're already taking i mean we're already taking so much like product risk right just just by building blockchain games so like building taking a risk on technology too was like um it was a bit much um and so we're like okay let's 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 use polygon the the bridging technology seems to work um so we built the game, and, and the first goal was to like kind of like just try to get to a um, a prototype really fast. Like I, my entire thing is like ship, 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 like all the time. We're just like shipping, shipping all the time. Um, I mean, we've launched like twenty nine releases now at Pirate Nation. you know, I think, released thirty. Oh came out
1: Congratulations! So <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, we, I mean, we launched the game. We we like launched the game. We we did a mint. A free mint in November. We launched in December. We've done 30 releases. People don't realize this that the team is just like my KPI and my, my like internal metric is like dev cycle speed. Like, how do you just ship faster, right? And so, um, and so like when we launched Pirate Nation, it was on Polygon. You have to like we did a free mint on Ethereum because we wanted you know, because not a lot of people had. Matic gas or whatever at the time. And like, we're like, I can start Ethereum and then bridge. And so then people had to bridge the game to Polygon. Um, and then we had this technology we built, which we basically abstracted away all of the uh, gameplay pop ups and the gas. So we use a relayer. We use essentially a game wallet, which essentially is authorized. Your main wallet signs a transaction to authorize it to take gameplay actions only on your behalf. And then, so we're like basically signing transactions under the cover. We're sending them to a relayer where we pay for the gas and then send to the chain. So the, the the gas cost of the chain is really, really important because that's like our like literal like cost center. Right. But in exchange, you get this like seamless user experience. If you haven't played Fire Nation, like, you know, um, it's like, it's seamless. You don't, you, you, you log in once, you sign a single, you see MetaMask once ever, and then it's just gone. You know, it's just then you're just playing the game. Or t- it's like every other mobile game you've ever played. And so, um, so but, but what was really cool about that is that, like, okay, so we had the game running. People were playing it. Uh, it was really unique at the time because, like, the gameplay was, like, deeper. Like, because most blockchain games, like, they were, like, people were hand-coding these solidity things. And, like, it was a real mess. And, like, we, like, architected things to be a little bit, like, more dynamic. And, 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 arch- and, and now it's even gotten even better. But that was like, B, like, that was like the alpha version of our, of our technology, and um, then like Polygon started running issues where like they had trouble scaling, and we were spending three to four thousand dollars a day. Oh my god! Like, okay, and then like the, the not so subtle secret is we've raised you know a healthy amount of money to like sustain the company, allow us to do this. We have really great backers. We haven't talked about who those people are yet, um, but. Um, it's been really, uh, it's it's allowed us to like kind of do this like R and D and like figure this stuff out, right? And so we were like spending money on gas, and we're like, okay, this is not working. So we like um, we ended up uh, taking uh, the game, and we're like, okay, we need to do a migration, and that's where we started looking at you guys. And Nova was like really really interesting um, because it was like the super cheap thing that allowed us to like like ultimately like I believe that ownership and gameplay validation are different things. Right, they're different execution environments. Like, if you have an expensive asset or a game item or whatever, you want that secured by, you know, your, you know, the L1, right? Ideally, in um, decentralized network and all that other good stuff. But then when you start to think about, like, okay, like, did my pirate, you know, go on a quest? Like, I don't need the full force of the Ethereum L1, you <laughs> know, mining system right. to validate that. Yes, I did go on this quest. So 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 nova was a really great option because it was like super super cheap and now um we're actually it's interesting we're actually like unit profitable which basically means we make more money in like just kind of economic activity in the game from secondaries than we spend on gas so like very
1: rare, especially which, for crypto projects
0: <laughs> yeah i know so it's yeah well i mean unit unit profitable is different than like absolute profitable you know like you know it's like mm-hmm. just to be clear like we still have overhead in terms of employees which is like much higher than this But, but the point is this: is that like, you know, like we've like kind of made the, the operations work, and um, and it's cool because like, uh, you know the, like the transactions are faster. Like, you know, I can I can be an ad for you guys if you want. Like, go <laughs> <No> but, <point. laughs> but no, but no, yeah, but, but like, no, it's been great. You guys have been great to work with. Like, yeah, we know this. We we sing your praises And like, um, and, and like it, it's cool. And so so that's how I mean. Ultimately, you know, the truth is, though, like, I, I, I see the end state of this stuff as application-specific chains. Um, I think you, because you, which you don't, like, right now, we're, like, lucky because, you know, um, it, we're, like, it's, like, you guys have a hit application on your chain. And then all of a sudden, we're, like, you know, we're back to competing with other companies for block space. Like, what ended up happening on Polygon is they got really popular. And, like, you know, we, had, we were competing with BlockSpace. Um, but the cool thing is, like, now our technology, we can, like, migrate. like We can literally, like, fork from, like, one chain to another. We're, like, chain agnostic. It's, like, actually really, really, really dope, the stuff that we've we've put together. Um, but, you know, the answer, I, you know, in the end, I'm not taking any credit for this. It's, like, it's all the engineering team. But, like, the, um, uh, you know, I, I do think the future of this stuff is going to be, like, you know, you take your project or whatever. You create a isolated execution environment for it. And then you have like shared validators or something like that across that and other execution environments. And and that ends up being like that that makes more sense to me. It's like having it's like uh, shared hosting versus dedicated hosting, you know, in terms of like like if you were to draw an analogy.
1: Okay, so then looking from the outside in, because um, you know, of course working at off-chain labs, my mind is always focused on arbitrum layer two stuff. Uh, did you guys at any point consider launching on a minute of the layer, a minute of the layer one, I should say? Um, or any other blockchain other than ethereum earlier two?
0: no 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 just ethereum i'm if, if i'm anything i'm an evm maxi um and not and not not to diminish the other chains it's just that again like think about what i said earlier about like the permanence the composability the interoperability the uh, humanities time capsule you have to there's there's only one chain that provides that really like blockchain or bitcoin may provide it but like it doesn't have the, like, the, the programmability. So, like, to me, like, if you're trying to build truly permanent, composable applications, you have to be on an Ethereum-compatible system.
1: Okay, so moving on from crypto, uh, I'd love to ask you this. As as someone who's founded multiple successful companies, products, et cetera, uh, what advice would you have for maybe people who are just starting out, um, are interested in getting to entrepreneurship and, like, want to take
0: the dive? uh there is no substitution for just doing it so there is a really um i went to this like meditation retreat recently and they had a really good quote it was like there's like three types of wisdom There's like the wisdom where someone tells you something right and you kind of hear it there's a wisdom where you like are able to internalize that and like reason about it be like oh that makes sense and there's the wisdom that you've like lived like you've like gone and experienced and you've like lived firsthand. Um, and um, I mean, people were telling me when I was at Zynga, like, hey, like, you know, this is rare. This is this is a unique thing. Like, it's very hard to have a success of this nature. It wasn't until I went and like, you know, lived that experience in my future companies that I realized how hard it was and how rare it was that we had what we had. Um it's like someone telling you the stove is hot versus touching it like you know you may not touch the stove because someone tells you it but like once you if you touch the stove you'll never forget that lesson <laughs> you know that's ingrained it's ingrained into your, your you know your, your mind and so so with, with entrepreneurship i you know i just my take is if you're if you even have a slight itch to go do it you should probably just go do it um if, if you have like you know, like within reason right like you know, I wouldn't like throw all of your life savings into it or whatever. Like like, I I would like find, or, or even better, like if you're like unsure about it, go join a small company, like go join a startup, like early, like you get a, you basically get all the lessons, but you have like less risk if they've raised money or whatever, and you get to at least see it. Um, and then like, once you, once you're in it, like persistence is like 90% of it. It really is. It's like, I mean, you need to like pick a good market like you pick a decent market and then you're persistent you'll like to me that's like i've seen i've invested in like at this point like maybe a hundred companies i've invested in a lot of companies and like and like i've i've kind of seen it play out and almost always it's like people who are just like stubborn you know that's just like you are just like stubborn you're just like i'm just going to keep doing this but like have the like humility to be like okay let me adjust let me question my presumptions and so on but stay in the ring you know stay in the ring and especially in crypto like you gotta stay in the ring
1: and you know what for what it's worth i think that's a really really tough quality to find uh you know in, in people especially some in crypto to be honest with you like i feel like you know even just looking at social media nowadays you see a lot of people glamorizing the lifestyle of like a quote-unquote entrepreneur doing your own thing like a stress-free environment
0: when in reality it's like it's, it can't be anything that's like bullshit that. <laughs> that's complete. that's a lie that's a, no dude. Dude, there's a reason depression is higher amongst entrepreneurs. There's a reason that people, like, they look older. They get out of shape. Like, it's stressful. There's always something that comes up. Look, if you want a book, like, I I mean, there's, like, there's, like, three books that, like, will give you a, like, I think are, like, primers. One is, like, Zero to One, Peter Thiel. The second is The Hard Thing About Hard Things, Ben Horowitz. And the third one, which I really like, that I think, like, follows my philosophy, is Essentialism. Okay. Which is do less. Do less. I tell my team this all the time do less better right, right.
1: like optimize so like
0: op- no focus 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 like it's so easy to try to do too much instead of being like let me just do the one th- like figure out what really matters and just do that one thing
1: oh man you, you know it's funny like yeah you, before you're know, coming to All chain labs i i spent like like nine to ten months creating content on youtube uh, and something about just like getting in there grinding figure figuring things out, and like just doing things on my own was just something so fun about it uh now, of course, then moving on off chain labs to a thirteen person team at the time uh wow. you know it, it, again it, it felt like kind of the same thing, but at this time, I had people around wow. me, and we were just collectively like building something together uh I love it yeah
0: i wonder I really wonder if you if you if you' like i mean ten to ten months is a decent amount of time. Like, I'm curious how many hours you end up clocking. If you had, like, done, like, another 10 months, if you wouldn't have, like, had, like, a breakout success. Because, like, if, for, for most creative endeavors, like, even, like, I do some, like, like, I, I, I dabble in music. Uh, it's, like, a hobby. But, like, you know, it, you know, and having met, like, some pretty successful producers at this point, um, it's, like, it, it turns out it's just, like, putting the reps in, right? Releasing music. Just, like, sitting in the studio. And it's a solo activity. You're, like, literally... You know, you see them on stage playing whatever. Or you see the the top, you see Mr. Beast doing like these really dope things. But then you're know, like, you know, there's so much just like the grinding. No, totally. Right.
1: Repetition is definitely. Key. Yeah. Like
0: well, there's no shortcut for 10,000 hours, I guess, you know, is another way of putting it.
1: Okay. So as someone who obviously well-versed in the gaming industry, uh, what would you say, which technology would you say will be the most adopted uh, within the gaming industry as a whole? AR, VR, AI, any of that stuff?
0: Um, I actually think AI, Yeah, I think AI, um, and, and I, and I think from a content creation perspective, because it just, it's so much more efficient. Right. And even if you, if you have real artists like in the loop, like you, you train the AI in your art style and now you get for every one piece you create, you get five variations. You just get to, you get more choice as a creator on like exact look. So I think what you're going to get a lot of is like, Things that, like, you know, game companies that are smaller that now have, like, all this AI-backed stuff, and you're able to, like, really start to get, like, these, um, you know, more leverage. Um, So I I think AI, especially on the development side, it's already there. Like, I I would say, like, it's, like, kind of a no-brainer for gaming. Um, Also, if you think about it, like, we have people on our team who have no artistic skills uh, or or, art background, no coding skills, and they're, like, basically creating game features, right? They're, like... You know they're create. they're using the ai tools they're really smart about it and they're able to like essentially do it's, it's skill enabling it too so it's not just about acceleration of existing skills it's about skill enablement for people who don't have it
1: you guys are doing that for pirate nation um, right now
0: um no pirate nation is, is is not really it's not, it's not too much ai i think we use it for like bits and places like some copy or so on um, you know, we're doing this, like, voxel style, which is, like, really unique, and AI just can't replicate any of that stuff yet. Like, there's not really great, like, AI 3D image generation. And I think it'll be a while before it gets there, because just, like, the, the nature of AI, like, output is, like, pretty hard to create optimized game assets, that you can actually, like, put in game. So almost always, you can use AI for, like, um, concept art, and then, like, use uh, an artist to, like, clean it up, and then, like, actually get it ship shape.
1: Okay, well, VR, AR you know you mentioned earlier that you uh, you know, you invested in those types of companies uh, where do you think that's headed right um, I, I feel like you, know, you mentioned the Apple headset earlier thirty five hundred dollars for you know like a like a, like a little remote thing on your head uh, like yeah where's that where's that going
0: <laughs> yeah so so one of the best investments we made I was I was the first check into this company called sandbox VR and uh, it's location based VR and it's absolutely murdering it. These guys are just killing it. It's like their locations are like sold out and, and what it is is you go there. It's like a new E. cheese. You go there with like a bunch of friends and you they put you in the, the holodeck and you can like, you can load up whatever game you want. They have like I forgot, they have like a Squid Games one. I think they have some other licensed property like Ghostbusters or something. And you like go in there um, Oh, Star Trek. You like go in there and they like basically load you up in the holodeck and you have this like Hour-long experience or whatever long with your your friends, and you're like in this virtual space together, like shooting aliens or solving puzzles or whatever it may be, and just ends up being this like really cool um, like social thing. So they've kind of cracked it, right uh, on the gaming side. I think I think mean, that's the best application I've seen. Um, obviously people are using I think VR for fitness is really powerful too. You don't realize you're working out as hard as you are. Uh, Beat Saber is being used for fitness, and it's like it's actually a, Pretty good workout, um, and because you're in the game, you don't, like, you don't even realize you're working out. So you end up working out a lot harder than you normally would. I, um, I think VR in airplanes, Ooh, like that's a good one. if you're in a coach middle seat, like <laughs> put on the VR headset, and all of a sudden you're somewhere else. That's a way better experience than you know staring at the back of the seat. Um, uh, and then on the Apple side, I mean, like on, on like the business side, like yeah, like Apple's kind of figured it out. Like, why do I want one monitor when I can have fifteen? right? Like, why do I, I can bring my desktop with me anywhere. And so like the, the virtual productivity stuff, I think is really powerful. Um, other people have tried it, but the problem with it is that like, you need the integration with the OS. And so that's where the Apple stuff really works. Um, and then on the, uh, I mean, the air stuff, like it's, it's, no one's gonna be walking around with consumer air glasses anytime soon. This is all going to be like enterprise things. Um, the other place that VR and Air work really, really well is in training and simulation. So we've invested in a bunch of companies that are doing like, um, like medical training, medical simulation, that kind of thing. Right.
1: You keep going. Yeah.
0: And and uh, and like, uh, there's another one which is like you put on a VR, you put on air goggles. You can like look at a piece of machinery. And it'll tell you how to repair that machinery, using computer vision. So you don't even have to know. You just follow your, you're like the hands for the computer. That oh my makes God. Sense. And so you can see how you can, like, basically train technicians or whatever using AR. So, so like, these these applications, they justify the high, 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 the high price. Like, someone working at Lockheed Martin on, like, a, whatever, some piece of machinery, you know, they, they're going to be paying the $3,500 for the headset. So their technicians are, like, 10x more effective at their jobs. Right? Right. And so now it all starts to make sense. But on the consumer side, I think we're a ways away personally
1: that's exactly what i was gonna say because like it, it almost feels like like with 4k right when 4k first came out like you know you would only see it at these like you know big box stores like you know on the walls or something like that or like you know the best buys maybe but like they were extremely expensive and no one was buying it it just wasn't you know wasn't affordable but nowadays you can get one for like 100 bucks probably you know may not be the best 4k yep. but it's a type of 4k <laughs> um so yeah, i don't know i could see the same thing happening maybe you can get one of these things for 100 bucks one day um you know, hopefully if it's a relatively good one for a hundred bucks.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, or not. I mean, there's like physics involved. I that's the only thing to consider is like the reason this stuff's so hard is like, it's like just expensive to have like a battery pack. That's like dense enough. It has like this, like no one else could have made the air gla- the, 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 apple glasses. Like if you think about all of it, like the ability to like dissipate heat to create new chips, all of it. It's a, it's clearly a new high watermark for this technology. We'll see if people, I mean, I'm going to get one day one, um, but like, you know, it's like no one else could have built this. So, you know, thank you, know thanks, thank you, Apple, for like continuing to push the bar forward because like, you know, we've been waiting for something like this. Facebook tried for a while, but they were going in a different direction with like low cost hardware.
1: No, totally. That's what I was gonna say. Like, you know, maybe when the bull market comes back, if it ever comes back, I'll, I'll order a headset. <laughs> you know, if I can afford it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's gonna be a stat symbol. All
1: right. Well, I think we can end off there, Amit. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we appreciate you for uh, you know lending us your uh, your expertise on gaming entrepreneurship and everything else. Uh, that being said, I guess we'll you know we'll see you next time.
0: All right. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for watching this week's episode of Beneath the Layers. If you're interested in listening to more, make sure to check us out on YouTube or on any of the other major podcasting platforms. Also, we're hiring. So if you're interested in uh, working on cutting edge tech, scaling Ethereum, etc., make sure to apply at jobs.lever.co forward slash off-chain labs. Additionally, a disclaimer, nothing in this podcast should be taken or understood as financial advice of any kind uh, and all opinions expressed by the host, myself, or the guests are solely their opinions, my opinions, and do not reflect the opinions of Offchain Labs as a company. All that being said,
0: thank you for watching. See you guys in the next one.